0: Well, Hello and welcome. My name is Father William Astry and this is another edition of Gabriel's Trumpet for Thursday, March the 2nd, the first week of Lent. Our reading this morning comes to us by way of the book that we haven't looked at too much in the past, the book of Esther, chapter 12, verses 14 through 16 and 23 through 25 the book of Esther, chapter 12, verse 14 through 16, and 23 through 25. In a word of introduction, the book of Esther has come to us with two translations, one Jewish and one Greek. The particular section that I'm suggesting for reading this morning is a Greek translation, which often contains uh more references to God than the Jewish translation. And in many Bibles, it's marked off that this is the Greek editions. Uh, The book of Esther in its Jewish form was written uh, toward the end of the 400s B.C., around 480-65, and then again in 480 something. So, the Greek translation was much closer, uh, or later I should say, say between the 140s and into the 160s, I'm mean into the 60s. So, in those particular translations, but the translation this morning is the Greek version. And the story itself involves uh, this figure, uh, Esther who Biblical scholars tell us was not really a historical figure as much as a a symbol. She was a disclosure figure, a model, that brings many important aspects of our relationship with God and God's relationship to us, especially in times of distress, in times of the need for deliverance. Not so much on a personal level as it had to do with a national level, specifically a the saving of the Jewish people. Uh, Esther <clears throat> was adopted uh, by her uncle, who was very solicitous of her, took very good care of her, and loved her very much, and she was very beautiful. In fact, she was so beautiful that the Persian king, because Persia was the reigning empire and power at the time, the king recruits Esther to uh, be part of his harem, and she rises to prominence. And in our passage, she's referred to as Queen Esther. So she has a great deal of privilege And she got to that position because she had discovered a plot to kill the king. And she disclosed this to him, and he lifted her to the title of Queen Esther. And so she had a very important place and a very important access to the king. And yet the king, who is very... um, laxadaisical, and given to uh, whims. Uh, He also puts out a decree that the Jews are to be destroyed. There is to be a mass murder of Jews. She finds out about it. And she is transformed from a queen of privilege to one who will liberate and save the people from this terrible plot. And she does so by praying to God for the courage and the wisdom to carry this out. Um, She says, as a child, I was wont to hear from the people of the land of my forefathers that you, O Lord, chose Israel from among all peoples and our fathers from among all their ancestors as a lasting heritage, and that you fulfilled all your promises to them. Be mindful of us, O Lord. Manifest yourself in the time of our distress and give me strength. Put in my mouth pervasive, persuasive words in the presence of the lion, the king, and turn his heart to hatred For our enemy, that is, those who are looking to plot to kill the Jews, so that he and those who are in league with him may perish, save us by your power, help us, who am alone and leave no one but you, O Lord, you know all things. So she turns to the Lord in prayer. And of course, Mm -hmm. the plot is discovered and the Jewish people are able not only to survive but to triumph over their enemies. In this particular passage, if we look deeper, a prayer, petitionary prayer, Lord grant me this or Lord grant me that, either personally or for a loved one, or even for our nation and our world. And we certainly need prayer today, for we are engaged in a great spiritual conflict in our own time, between good and evil, between the kingdom of God and the reign of God, and that of the evil one. And through Esther, deliverance comes. But let's take a little bit deeper look at this and ask ourselves, why do we pray? Why do we lift our petitions, our prayers, our needs to Almighty God? Because prayer reveals not only something about our own need, but it also, more importantly, reveals the very nature of God. God is not indifferent. God is not apathetic. God is not too busy with other things about our own need and our situation. For God is ever-present and responsive to our needs. It tells us that God is not some kind of uh, Greek god, Uh, who is uh, dilly-dallying in the upper realms and just amuses himself by watching all of the back and forth that goes on on earth and uses human beings simply as almost objects on a chessboard, just manipulating and moving people around for their own amusement to sort of pass the time. God is not cold and indifferent, some kind of principle of reality, some kind of free-floating spirit. But the true great revelations that will take place in the New Testament of the God we pray to, we lift our whole being to, is revealed in a crib and a cross. In Bethlehem and on Golgotha, in the Incarnation, and the crucifixion. Our God is a God who is ever mindful of us. Jesus says, all the hairs of our head are counted. So intimately does God know us. And our God is not a God of, again, a spirit or a force. God is a God of who is a person. God is personhood itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the one personal God. And that God wishes to encounter us, to be known to us, and wants us to be in loving relationship with him. It's not a God who is indifferent. And when we lift our being to God in prayer, it says that we believe that God cares. And not only does God care, but in God's great providential care and in God's great love, God responds to our need. And even when it appears that God is indifferent, God doesn't answer, that itself is God's answer. Because maybe what we're asking for or what we're seeking to us, seems to be so obvious, so important, and we need it now. God in his wisdom who sees around the bend, who has an infinite and eternal vision of things, knows that it is not really good for us. It will end badly for us. As the great Christian writer C.S. Lewis said, we will spend a great deal of time in heaven thanking God for all the things he didn't grant us because they turned out, or would have turned out, to be disastrous. And so prayer, one of the pillars of our Lenten practice, almsgiving, sacrifice, and prayer. Prayer bespeaks the kind of God that we have been blessed to know. Know not in our heads only or on our lips, but in the depth of our being. God entered human nature, human history. God entered time, not half the way, but all the way in the birth of Christ true God of true God, true man of true man, truly human, fully human, suffered and died for us, a true death, to take away our sins, wash away our guilt. And Jesus was raised by the Father in a bodily resurrection. And that is our hope. For those who die with Christ and in Christ will rise with Christ. God is not a God who forgets, but a God who is ever-present. So each day as we pray, let us be mindful of this personal God. Not personal as an individual God to do whatever we want, but a God who is person personhood itself, and in our relationship, in our encounter with God, we become fully alive. The fullness of our personhood flourishes and becomes visible. That's the God we worship. That's the God who wants to be known and loved by us as he knows us and loves us. So let us, in this season of Lent, this holy season, place our petitions and cares upon the Lord, for he will never disappoint. He will never turn away, will never be indifferent. Let us surrender our needs and be filled with God's unbounded love and mercy. This day and all well, the days that the Lord may grant us. God bless you.